This episode of Upstream in Perspective is brought to you by IHS Markets Upstream Insight. Our team of industry experts analyze the interplay of geopolitical structures, government priorities, corporate strategies, and global markets and technologies to deliver forward-looking solutions that lead to more informed and efficient decisions. These solutions are available via recurring reports, interactive analytics, robust data sets, and bespoke engagements with experts. Learn more about our offerings at www.ihsmarket.com energy. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm one of your hosts for Upstream and Perspective, Jessica Nelson. Hill Vaden is back with us today also. Hill, good to have you back on the pod. Thanks, Jessica. Glad to be here. So today we're discussing the oil field water management market. Our guests today are Paula Perez-Pena and Prescott Roach. Paula is from our cost and technology research team, and she joins us to share some recent analysis of the water management market. Prescott is a research analyst from our Plays and Basins team, and he'll help us understand the impact of the permian on the water market. Uh, thank you both for joining us. Yeah, Thanks thank for you for us. having us. So, Paula, you've recently estimated the U.S. oil field water management market to now be valued somewhere around $37.5 billion. That represents a 12% year-on-year market growth from 2018, mainly driven by water disposal and water hauling. Can you help put these figures in perspective for us? I mean, give us a quick overview of what's happening in the oil field water management market and where the focus is. Is it water disposal and hauling, or is there anything being done on sourcing and recycling? Uh, sure, Jessica. I will be more than happy to provide an overview of the water management market. Our valuation is the result of the analysis of the whole value change of the market. So we have multiple segments and each of them behave and contribute differently to our estimation of the market value. So from our valuation, hauling and disposal of water account for 65% of total spending in this year. And these two segments are becoming more critical for oil and gas operations in the U.S. as we produce five times more water than oil. The remaining spending comes from um, segments such as sourcing, water treatment, and flowback services. So as more water get reused, we expect water treatment spending to increase in the market while sourcing um, spending decreases. So that's what is kind of happening in the market right now. The reason why hauling and disposal are so relevant is because these segments manage 90% of the water using the oil field. And the more wells we drill with longer laterals, the more water these segments will need to manage. And let me give you some numbers so I put this in, in perspective. So we talk about flowback water. Uh, this water has increased more than 24% in the last couple of years, mainly driven by permian activity. That's quite a drastic increase just for flowback water. Now, if we add produced water, we expect produced water to increase 4% this year and continue this trend in the next five years as we move from core regions uh, to more water-saturated areas. And Paula, so, is the, sorry to interrupt, the, the, the flow back water you said was 4%? The flow back water is actually 24% increase in the past couple of years, mm-hmm. just because we've been drilling longer laterals. So per well, we need more water 
and that's what it has um like kind of like driven this dramatically increase in the flow back water okay so that's the water coming back from from the, the water brought into the completion job as opposed to formation water exactly okay but the, the yeah. formation water i think you were saying was a, a much larger contributor to the overall water challenge exactly it is it is actually the produ the produced water and um let me give you numbers actually we're expecting this year to have just in produced water 19 billion barrels of water that is if if you put it in perspective for those that are familiar with the houston area it's almost four times all the water in the lake conro <laughs> uh, that is a lot of water that we're just going to produce from oil and gas industry. All from the Permian or, or across North America? Across, across the U.S. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's, it's just a lot of water. And and let me clarify here, this, these numbers are for the U.S. So the flowback uh, water increase is is a overall number of the U.S. as well as the produced water. Is that inclusive of offshore? It is onshore unconventional. Onshore US. Okay, great. Yes, thanks for clarifying that. So the way the industry is managing this water is pretty much 40% is used for EOR injections, 50 goes into saltwater disposal, and the, the remaining volumes get recycled. So as produced water increases in the next couple of years, we expect to see more water being recycled and more technologies coming into the industry. However, like we still believe that uh, salt water disposal will continue to be the primary method of injection due to economics. It's very cheap for operators just go and dispose the water using salt water disposal. So we see this continuing in the next couple of years. And how so this is you're saying that 10% is recycled? It is about, yes, that's right. How does that compare to, to, to prior years? And is that with the economics of saltwater disposal so attractive, is, you know, is, is recycling, you know, kind of flat at 10 or, or? No, recycling has increased, definitely. Uh, we started, like, if we look at three years ago, we were saying, we were seeing, like, just maybe two, three percent, very, very little recycling, and all coming from the Marcelo shell, just because uh, there is not a lot of disposal wells in Marcelo's and Utica, so they were forced to recycle water. But then, as we produce more water, and the industry see a, like a need for increase in recycling due to you no, know, like kind of. Um, limitations in sourcing. So this recycling is increasing, right? So it's increasing also because new technologies are coming into the market and prices are going down for some operators. So this, this trend that we've seen in the past year, we expect to continue going. So we're talking about going from 10 to maybe 20% in the next five years. And this is our estimation. I, I've heard some people in the industry saying, or 50% wow. in the next five years, which I think is uh, is a little optimistic, but we never know. Maybe 
there are some new technologies coming into the market and really dropping those prices. So we'll see what happens, but it, it will mainly depend on the technology development and how the cost decreases and are more competitive compared to disposal economics. So this is, this is in, in few words, what is happening in the market. So you went through quite a few numbers there, So uh, may, and maybe I missed it. So where's the biggest chunk of the water expense? Is it disposal? Is it hauling of the water? You said it was cheaper than the recycling at this, at this point, but um, where is that expense coming from? So the biggest chunk is definitely coming from hauling. So we, we have multiple segments in the market, right? We have the disposal, we have um, the recycling, right? And then we also have kind of like the logistics and hauling goes into the logistics section. So if you compare uh, hauling and disposal, there are kind of the main two segments from the whole market, definitely hauling is the, the biggest chunk of the water expense because it accounts for uh, around a third of the total spending in the water management. So we estimate that a lot, uh, around 10 billion of water will be transported in the U.S. via truck, and that and this is just a lot of water. Main that is is is, is going to need a lot of logistics, right? And it's going to be very challenging in terms of cost because as more water, more trucks are needed per well, the the costs are increasing. So th this is this is why you know the the big chunk of spending is there just because the demand for trucks is increasing and truck trucking in general is just expensive compared to just uh, transporting water via pipeline. And are there similar constraints? I know we've heard you know over the past few months about supply constraints coming out of the Permian in particular. So mentioning this hauling uh, demand, is that a constraint that you're seeing also? Uh, so the Permian had constraints in pipeline just for like oil, the production per se. We do see th there's definitely need for uh, infrastructure in the Permian. And this is mainly due uh, to the fact that we need to reduce costs. So if we, if we have... Uh, more pipelines to transport the water, the costs are definitely going to decrease, right? Uh, so there is a definitely a need for that. But so far, the industry is using trucks most of the time. So it's just like a mix. And if you think about what is happening this particular year, where operators are being more cautious with their capex, I don't see a lot of investment going like this year into pipeline. It's needed for sure to reduce cost, but as if if operators don't don't decide to put the capex towards that and prioritize water, then we'll have to keep using trucks and just you know like uh, getting those costs kind of like increasing as there is more demand. And, and is the lack of better. investment, is, is it just not the, the economics, it's not that big of a contributor negatively to the economics to really prioritize it in the way that you know, uh, other investments going? That's a good question. Uh, 
I'm not I'm not sure, you know, like what is the the range there and how much the cost has to increase to make it really relevant into the economics, you know, and, and I'm pretty sure um, the operators have these numbers in their <clears throat> in their analysis. But what I what I've seen is a uh, few operators announcing that they, they, they want to invest in, in pipelines, but mainly uh, kind of like is a water specialist, third, water, third party companies are more uh, inclined to do that. So that makes me think that um, the operators are not as worried mm -hmm. with the increase due to water transportation as of as of today. So, so otherwise they will be they will be like investing more. And just as a very general uh, rule of thumb on that, uh, the economics of moving water by a truck or, or by pipeline do differ quite a bit. So just very approximately speaking, uh, to ship produced water via a pipeline, once you've already built it out, tends to cost somewhere in the neighborhood of around 30 to maybe 60 cents uh, per barrel of water, whereas shipping, on, shipping it on a truck might cost uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of about $3 or so. So mm -hmm. the difference between those two is definitely substantial, but in terms of operators determining how they're going to, to allocate their capex, it may not it may just not be a big enough difference for them to, to justify spending during a time of uh, capital restraint. Well, we focused a lot of this conversation on, on the Permian, which I guess makes a lot of sense, uh, given the focus of Permian uh, you know, within the U.S. Um, and, and I think you, you were telling me earlier that the, the Permian contributes, what, about 32 percent um, of contribution to, to uh, produce water in the U.S., but but only accounts for, uh, you know, 20% of activity or something. Why, why the Permian? Why is the Permian so much producing so much more water than other places? So really, there's there's three reasons behind this. First of all, the Permian Basin has just been a huge source of conventional oil production for probably the better part of a century now. And even before unconventional development really took off there in the last five years, operators were long confronted with the need to dispose of huge volumes of produced water. So most produced water from conventional fields has historically been managed with uh, injection wells, which Paula had mentioned earlier. Uh, and injection wells essentially work by just re-injecting wastewater back into the producing reservoir. So even today, this is still widespread practice across conventional areas of the Permian. The volumes we're talking about here with injection wells are, are pretty massive something on the order of 12 and a half or so million barrels of water per day, give or take. But these have remained pretty flat over time. So the Permian's longstanding history as a major source of conventional production is definitely one reason why it accounts for so much produced water. But in terms of growth uh, in produced water out of the Permian, unconventionals are, are really the headline story here. So uh, just as a bit of background, uh, unlike conventional fields, produced water from unconventional wells can't be re-injected into the producing formation instead is usually dealt with using saltwater disposal wells, which were mentioned a bit earlier. So these work by injecting water into non-productive formations. And mm -hmm. the volume of water from unconventional wells that has to be handled in this way has gone from pretty much zero in 2010 to maybe seven or so million barrels uh, of water uh, today in 2019. So a lot of that growth really just boils down to how quickly unconventional oil production has grown in the Permian place. So just since 2014, oil production from the big three unconventional Permian plays, that's the Wolf Camp Midland, the Wolf Camp Delaware, and the Bone Spring, has risen about sevenfold to more than three and a half million barrels of oil per day. 
So that's reason number two. And is one of those so more uh, water dealing? Are you dealing with water more in one of those three than the other? Absolutely, and and that's actually the the third reason. So that that brings us uh, right into to that uh, really well. Um, so beyond looking at just how fast oil production uh, is growing out of the Permian, the other element to that is, is what you just mentioned, uh, and that's the high water tets. And that story is really unique to just the Delaware Basin. And that's the unusually high water tets for unconventional wells there. In many unconventional plays, like the Bakken and the Eagleford, the volume of water produced alongside every barrel of oil varies from less than one to maybe one and a half barrels. Even the neighboring Midland Basin, unconventional wells yield between one and a half to two barrels of water for every barrel of oil produced. But in the Wolf Camp, Delaware, something in the order of three to four barrels of, of water are produced for every barrel of oil. So for this reason alone, the Delaware Basin has really become the epicenter of growth for disposal volumes in the Permian. Okay. And is the Delaware, I mean, would you call that the, the most watery, uh, unconventional play in the U.S. right now? I remember years ago they were talking about, you know, we, we look at the Mississippian, where, where people were saying that people could make more money disposing of water than they could drilling wells because there was such a high water cut. Um, is is Delaware on that level, or you know, how does this compare to the other parts of the U.S.? Yeah, absolutely. So of the uh, the saltwater disposal wells that have been drilled in the Permian just in the last four or five years or so, we'd estimate that something on the order of about three-fourths of those are concentrated within the Delaware Basin alone, and that's mm-hmm. especially concentrated uh, in the Reeves County area. But, I mean, you're right. Uh, there is a lot of produced water uh, elsewhere. I mean, the Delaware Basin really isn't um, isn't unique in this. Um, really, produced water comes to the territory in any major producing area. So that's the case in places where there's a lot of conventional production, like California or, to your point, Oklahoma. Um, and, of course, there's also produced water associated with other unconventional plays, like the Bakken or the Eagleford. But it's just on a much smaller scale than what we've seen in the Permian. And that's why the Permian is really been kind of the focus of, of a lot of our efforts uh, more recently. When you mentioned concentration, the, I mean, the Permian's also characterized with, with a highly fragmented competitive environment of operators. Is that, you know, Chevronite and Exxon, I guess, are moving in in, in pretty aggressive ways that, that add some concentration to it. Is the, 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 the vendor industry around water, it sounded like, Paolo, that's similarly uh, fragmented. Is there any moves to concentration w- within that space at all? So you mentioned a really good point here, which is just how many operators there are in the Permian. I mean, there's hundreds of producing companies out there. And sure, each of them has their own way of handling produced water. But in general, there's really two types of water disposal business models that we've kind of seen come about in the last few years. So the first of these is the vertically integrated water operation. So this is really where an operator develops and manages their own water midstream disposal well infrastructure in-house. And so even though a lot of operators handle part or all of their water uh, in this way, handling it, handling it in-house, uh, a lot of these companies that adopt this model tend to be larger firms with big continuous acreage positions who are able to finance the expense of building all this infrastructure out. Okay. Sometimes operators that have followed this strategy have decided to spin off their water operations, uh, standalone businesses, or sell them off uh, entirely. So WPX is one company that's, that's considering that avenue right now. But the second business model uh, to this is the standalone third-party water disposal company. So these are the companies that accept produced water from operators. And the operators that tend to go with these companies usually tend to be smaller producers or those of more fragmented acreage that can't easily build out their own water handling infrastructure. 
And even though third-party water handling space is, is pretty fragmented, there's some indications that it's been really starting to, starting to consolidate in the last few years. Uh, about 70% uh, or so of third-party disposal wells are controlled by 15 companies, many of which have only entered the market in the last five years or so. And so one more point to this that I, I think is kind of interesting to note is that most third-party water disposal companies here have really sought to build dominant positions within very, very localized areas of the Permian rather than pursuing dominance in the basin as a whole. So, for instance, NGL Water Solutions, which is the largest third-party water company uh, in this space, has really concentrated on just building up their position in the northern Delaware Basin uh, along the New Mexico-Texas state line, while another company, uh, WaterBridge, has focused almost entirely on the southern Delaware Basin around Reeves County. So we've seen this theme not only in where companies are permitting new wells, building out their above-ground infrastructure, but also in their M&A activity as well. So NGL Water Solutions is another good example of this, where their acquisition of Mesquite really fits nicely with that strategy of trying to build dominance uh, in that state line area in, in the northern Delaware Basin. And they're localized to a local portion of the play as opposed to being, say, you know, active in the Marcellus or, or other parts of the unconventional space? Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's probably a lot of reasons behind that. But one of the most important reasons for it is that a lot of these companies, in addition to drilling uh, disposal wells, are also building out um, water uh, infrastructure. So pipelines, uh, centralized uh, uh, processing facilities and things like that. And it's much easier uh, for them to do that and much more cost effective for them to do that uh, within uh, a relatively um, localized area as opposed to trying to uh, gain dominance in the basin as a whole. And, and let me add something else there, um, because we've seen also like a tendency to get a localized uh, facility or like central operations with uh, third party companies. But on top of that, the companies are, are also um, signing agreements with the operators. So they are approaching operators in certain localized areas, buying their assets and coming to an agreement where the third party companies actually are going to handle, manage all the water from those operations. So it's kind of like a whole deal. They go there, they buy their assets, they build their central facility, and they sign the agreements with the operators. So it's just like, it seems like that's kind of like the tendency. And we've seen it with Concho recently in the south part of Delaware. Absolutely. We saw that with uh, in Canada as well. Exactly. So given all these things that we've kind of discussed, what, where do you all see kind of the, the major part of the supply chain need, needing investment? If, if you had, you know, a dollar a day to, to allocate toward, you know, water supply chain management, where would you put it? Um, there's definitely a lot of investment needed in infrastructure, like all the pipelines and also recycling technology. I think those are the, the main the main focus there, because uh, as I mentioned before, it's going to be more water in the market. The right now, as we have, the cost transportation is is increasing. So, if we if third party companies or operators invest in infrastructure, that's going to make transportation easier, and of course, they're probably going to make well economics more attractive in some areas. 
And also, as I mentioned before, recycling water is a trend that we see increasing and the fact that we need more technology to bring that cost down uh, means we need more investment there to be able to develop that technology. And how about looking out five to ten years? Um, where do you guys see the opportunities and threats for unconventional ENP water management? Um, that's actually a great question. Um, we believe that water treatment and disposal are expected to be the segments with the highest growth in the next five years. And for that reason, these two segments are going to face the most challenges and also also probably going to have more opportunities due to a large amount of produced water as laterals are keeping uh, to get a little bit longer as well as we move you know from the core zones to areas with more formation water so the disposal segment growth could be a threat for operators as more regulators are considering to implement new restrictions on new disposal wells that might include limitations of pressure and injection volume. So with more restrictions, disposal capacity growth is unlikely to keep pace with produced water growth, and that's assuming actual market conditions. So this could definitely limit the development of activity, as we might not have enough capacity to handle all the water that is going to be to produce. So, Oh, so disposal has to be a main focus point for the upcoming years. However, it gets interesting because the need for solutions to dispose the water will drive the recycled water volumes that are expected to keep growing, as I mentioned before. And probably uh, the development of new treatment technologies are going to come into a market, and, and this is definitely an opportunity for those companies that want to invest in technologies and bring that into the market. On top of that, there is an opportunity for expanded reuse of produced water, both in the oil, gas, and in other industries. And what I mean with that is, if we are able to come up with really good technologies to treat the water in a basic levels, we could probably use our produced water into industries such as agriculture or manufacturing, where we don't have to use the water for like eatable crops, for example, like we could use something like uh, cotton, things like that, or we can also use it for like the, the steel industry where they need a lot of water. So there is a lot of opportunity out there for this water that we are producing. We just need to, uh, you know, like put the puzzle together and be able to come up with these solutions to take advantage of all the water that we are producing. And who do you think is most likely to, um, to, to lead that technology, those technology advancements? Is it EMPs, oil field services, some of the third-party water specialists you just mentioned? I mean, where do you see that most likely coming from? So in terms of uh, technology and advancements, it's, it's, it's going to be mainly led by service companies and, and water specialists, of course, supported by EMP companies. Uh, as um, Prescott mentioned before, we've seen a clear trend of centralized facilities 
and I believe water specialists are going to lead this type of facilities, reducing uh, water management costs and being able to provide services for multiple EMPs in a localized area. On the other hand, if we just focus on the technology part, and then with this, I mean just recycling, I think services companies are definitely going to take the lead on this. I, I've spoken to different service companies and they are focusing on bringing new recycling technology that could be easily uh, transported from one site to another that is cheap that you know like uh, does the, the basic treatment that the industry needs for disposal right or for reuse but then there is something interesting in this recycling technology that uh, the fact that the water that we recycle, it will depend of the completion designed. It's kind of like a, a challenge in there, a, a challenger. So, so definitely service companies are gonna are, are looking into that right now, and I think they are right now taking the lead on that, and they're gonna keep doing that. So, um, kind of like a summary of this, I think the collaboration between the three players with EMPs, service companies, and water specialists will be key to find better solutions for to manage oil fill water. Great. Well, um, Paola Prescott, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge about the uh, water management market. It's not an area of the industry you hear a lot about, so very happy to hear uh, some of your recent research today. Yeah, thank you all. Yeah, thank you really for having us. you having us. Yeah, so um, you may not know this, but we like to end our podcast on a fun note. Um, so, <laughs> so we'd like to ask both of you a question that we've asked all of our guests so far this year. Um, if Can't you could, wait. yeah. So, um, if you could tell us, you know, if you could have a lemonade, soda, beer with any one person, whether that's historical or a current person, um, who would you pick? Prescott, you want to start us off? Oh man, this is such a great question. <laughs> I we've got might some, need a second to think on this. Yeah, we've got some good answers. Um, or the last, uh, in fact, one of the last ones was a cricket player, and, and I know we weren't as familiar with the sport <laughs> of cricket as, as some of the countries are. Um, if I were going to keep my uh, oil hat on, I mean, I guess I'd have to say the the former Saudi oil minister Ali Al Naimi. But uh, in terms of uh, just sort of personal interest standpoint. Man, I don't know. Sit down with uh, Napoleon or uh, or Louis the Sixteenth before uh, uh, unfortunate events got to him would have just been incredibly interesting from a historical standpoint. Are you a French speaker? No, I'm not at all. So we're definitely the translator there. So <laughs> maybe the, maybe that idea is shot. I think yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. Well, uh, can I turn the question around on you guys? <laughs> yeah. Um. I guess I'm gonna take this one. Uh. I don't want to get political here, but I'm kind of a big fan of Obama. So, and I'm not even from the U.S., but it would be nice to just, you know, sit with him and be like, you know, how is life after the office? You're so young. Oh, what are you doing? All that type of things. So that would be my answer. Well, you'll be glad to know that he is a big listener of this podcast. So maybe he will. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Dreams come true. <laughs> <laughs> Hill and uh, Jessica, fair's only fair. Uh, uh, ideal uh, drink mates. Well, do you want? Uh, I, I'm a little, I guess, advantaged because I've seen this question on a couple podcasts before, so I've given it some thought. Um, 
I think I would like to go see the play Hamilton with Thomas Jefferson and see what he thinks about his portrayal in the play. I wouldn't give him a heads up before he saw it, but but I'd be very interested in his reaction. How's that? We could drink lemonade at, you know. (laughs) Good one. Yeah. That is very very thoughtful. Um, I've asked this question for months and never actually thought about it myself. So (laughs) there's that. (laughs) Um, But I do love history. So I am always fascinated with things that have happened in the past. And one of the mysteries that I still watch all kinds of um, shows on the History Channel about uh, would be around Amelia Earhart and what happened to her and her journey um, and what that looked like. Also being one of, uh, you know, a very famous woman back in the days where it may have been a little bit difficult to do what she did. So um yeah i think i would i would go with amelia Earhart on my answer solid choice yeah all righty well um thank you both for uh for spending time on that fun answer for us and and you know barack if you're out there um give us a call uh paolo would like to have lemonade with you oh yeah water everything All right. Well, thank you again both for joining us. And thanks to all of our listeners um, for joining us for another podcast. Thank you. Thanks, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. Also, if you haven't checked us out on social media, please search for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy Solutions, visit ihsmarket.com energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.